Welcome to episode 322 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Wednesday, March 23rd. I'm your host, Paul Spohr, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, how's it going? Going good. Finally making our way through the minefield that is uh, young childdom. <laughs> the the one-year-old went from double ear infections to teething to single ear infection back to teething. Jeez. So the last three weeks have been without sleep for the most part. And I'm pretty exhausted, but we're, we found some with Motrim and um, and antibiotics. We found our way through some of it, and uh, hopefully someday he'll have all the damn teeth in his mouth. <laughs> and that left you under the weather a bit, didn't it? Yeah, I got some weird mystery thing where I my main my main symptoms were just fever and body tired tiredness, fatigue, and aches and it was like this. It was like having the flu without snot, which I guess some people would say. Well, you didn't have any snot. Well, uh, yes, I didn't have any snot, but I felt like ass. <laughs> yeah, it's brutal. I uh, I actually got sick after my trip to New York, which surprise, I, surprise. Yeah, not not really a huge surprise there. It, you know, being on the flights, the the weather was was pretty brutal over there. And, you know, it was just about a day and a half kind of thing. Yesterday, I was completely laid up in bed all day. It was absolutely brutal, but I feel much better today. Obviously, good enough to do a podcast, which I've been missing. For those of you wondering how Tout Wars went, Jason and I will still be recording. We were planning to do it on Monday. Couldn't do it because my computer messed up. And then yesterday, couldn't do it again because I got sick. So, Eno and I are going to be talking about some news today that we've got. Uh, some spring standouts, five hitters who are just tearing the cover off the ball. i got to figure out if that's changing your outlook at all, Eno. And then we're going to talk about your updated pitching ranks, uh, including some guys who are the biggest movers and the biggest fallers. I'm sure everyone loved seeing your updates out there. Uh, you know, we got a little bit more information with some injuries, just seeing some guys on the field. So there was a lot of changes there. And we've got five guys that have moved up, five guys that have moved down. And we're focusing on your top 100 here because those are the ones that are going to regularly be drafted. So we'll get into all of that today. Let's go ahead and start, as we always do, by letting us letting y'all know how you can reach us on Twitter. That's at Sporer, at Enoceris, and at Jason Collette, C-O-L-L-E-T-T-E. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. We greatly appreciate that. We're almost at 400 reviews. We're at 396. So if you guys can get out there, put your review in, leave your comment, let us know what you think. We are tracking at a five-star, which is fantastic. We greatly appreciate that. But we would like to get up over five, 400 reviews. Actually, we would love to get over 500, but let's start with 400 first. That, that will definitely work. We'll be very grateful for that. But uh, we've got some news. You know, it's, uh, it's about that time of year when injuries are really starting to flow in. And it's obviously not a great time of the year, but that's just what happens when guys start playing. And uh, we had a big one yesterday. You know, it's not not huge. Maybe ten team mixed leagues don't really feel it, but it's it's pretty big outside of you know outside of that twelve fifteen team leagues. Andre Ethier was somebody that you could draft and rely on, particularly if you could suit him against just righties. If 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 it's a daily transaction league and you can only play him against righties, that's a damn good outfielder that you could have there. And now Ethier is going to be out ten to fourteen weeks with a broken tibia. It's not expected to require surgery, but how do you see this changing the outlook of the Dodgers outfield? It does actually, in a weird way, it, it gives the guys that were probably starters anyway more leash and mm-hmm. more. Particularly somebody like a Peterson who, you know, has been kind of up and down since his big breakout last year. You don't have a great bat like Ethier to kind of push him out. Does this emerge? Does this make Carl Crawford emerge now? 
Yeah, I think Carl Crawford turns into a true platoon instead of a kind of fourth outfitter guy. So I think really what they're going to do is solve it with a Crawford Van Slyke platoon in in terms of brass taxes. And, and Van Slyke is great, but mostly just against lefties. So mm-hmm. uh, Crawford, uh, useful to plug in there if he's feeling good. I think I talked to him a little while back about making a change in the way he ran and that he used to run with his strides were too long and that put stress on his hamstrings and that's why he had all those hamstring injuries. So he's been, you know, I think a little bit more healthy than people give him credit for since then. That and, is really interesting. I, <clears throat> pardon me. I, I didn't know anything about that, um, that your running style could could lead to injuries there, especially for someone who used to be such a such a speed demon. Let's just take a moment to remember how great Carl Crawford used to be because it's <laughs> it's kind of a bummer that it, it's been several years since he's been anywhere near those levels. This was a guy who was giving you a double-digit home run total, nothing crazy, you know, right around 15, 19, I think, was his career high. But you, with that, you were getting a 300 average, uh, 100 runs, 80 ribbies, and 50 plus steals like that's kind of what he was averaging for several years particularly with Tampa Bay and then everything kind of fell apart when he went to Boston I don't know if it was you know just that he was 29 and the the playing time was catching up to him or if he signed the big contract or, or what the case was but this was a guy who was an elite fantasy superstar who has now fallen on hard times. Yeah you know he's kind of a cautionary tale people talk make it about um, you know, actually, last year was uh, oblique strains. I just wanted to make sure about that because okay. he did miss a lot of time last year. But at least it wasn't the old. It was hamstrings for a really long time, and oblique, I guess, is pretty terrible. But it's not not the same sort of terrible. And and a lot of uh, his lack of plate appearances last year was just that there was a crowded roster, which is sort of relevant to our discussion. But um, I think that Crawford also serves as a kind of a cautionary tale because. There is a point in his in his career where you could say, right before he signed with the Red Sox, you could say, this dude has had 650 plate appearances every year, save one. You know, and that's the kind of thing I was just thinking about it because I just saw, you know, I, I just I'm doing the center field positional power rankings thing for for the front for the front of the site, mm-hmm. and, I, and I was just writing up Andrew McCutcheon, and I said, you know. Only two other players have more plate appearances than Andrew McCutcheon since he broke into the league. That sounds like a great thing now, but in some on some level, you wonder if plate appearances and you know time on the field are almost like pitches and and bullets that are being spent, and that you know leading the league in plate appearances. Yes, that means that you're out there and that you've been healthy so far, but on some level, could it be dangerous? I don't. Are you down? You know, and uh, I don't know if it's necessarily been shown in the numbers. The, the thing that numbers say is that past injury predicts future injury. But what I'm saying about Carl Crawford is there wasn't necessarily that whiff of injury around him before everything fell apart. So. No, there was there was nothing to really yeah. believe that anything, you know, and he was staying in the division. So it's not like he had to learn a whole bunch of new teams when he went to Boston. Granted, he had to learn a new home team and, and, and that sort of stuff. But it shouldn't have tanked his numbers. He had a 50-point drop in OPS Plus from 2010 to 2011. That was his last year with Tampa Bay to his first year with Boston. And only spent a year and a half with Boston before getting shipped out in that big Adrian Gonzalez 
deal uh, to to the Dodgers, and he's been there for a while now. And you know, he actually he was okay for the first two years, and then last year was was particularly tough with only 69 games played, which in this case is not as nice as you would expect. Um, but now he's going to be leading off against right-handers, and I think you got to throw a couple bucks on him just in case, right? Yeah, in those deeper leagues, I mean, last year he had basically a 30-steal pace in a full season, even a little bit more, maybe like 35 steals in a full season. And, you know, I think he is a fast guy still, even at 34. Mm -hmm. So, you know, giving him that kind of 30-steal pace with, uh, you know, 5 to 10 home run power in a full season and like a 270 batting average, that those are all kind of on the upper end of his projections, but I, I don't feel that uncomfortable um, saying that he can do those things. And, uh, you know, he's going to have a little more playing time than he's had, you know, at least last year. So, you know, I, 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 I like him as a plug-and-play steals guy in a league right now where steals are disappearing and they're hard to find. And if, you, if you're in a daily league where you kind of, you know, sat on steals and, and didn't do much with them. I think he could be a useful guy for you. How deep you got to be to get to uh, Scott Vance like? Mm. I don't. I versus lefties guys. Uh, he doesn't. He you know like Jorge Soler might be a versus lefty platoon guy this year in the outfield. Mm-hmm. So Jorge Soler is, is similar to Scott Vance like in that way, except that it'll take another injury. Well, which is possible. Uh, Carl Crawford is there. Plus, Jorge Soler still has more of the whiff of prospect about him and more Absolutely. upside, I would say, than a Scott Van Slyke. So Jorge Soler, I think, is okay in 15-teamers or in 12-teamers with a with a keeper component where you're just still holding on and crossing your fingers and saying, come on, something happened, make, make a big trade with Cleveland, do something. But, um, you know, Van Slyke is a, is a tier below that, even though they are similar in some ways. And I would I would put Van Slyke as 15 team. You want to have 10 bench slots even then, I think, because I think you want you're going to say, okay, I'm platooning him. I'm going to get you know 150 to 200 play appearances out of him. That's it. And but I want those to be really good ones, and I'm just going to pl- plug him in there. I think that's about the the shallowest I'd go for him. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, let's move on to AJ Pollock, who's been dealing with a bum elbow, but we did learn yesterday. That he's not expected to need a DL stint uh, with regards to this elbow. Has that bumped you down on him at all? Are you, are you moving AJ Pollock down at all with this elbow, or are you kind of keeping it status quo? Mm, I don't know. He, he, normally, the guys want to have two weeks, but um, you know, there's and that time on that one is running out a little bit. I, I have a feeling. There is a way to do it without going on the DL, which they might do, which is something like uh, send him to extended spring training and just give him another, you know, four or five days of of uh, minor league games where he, in a minor league game he can get seven or seven or eight plate appearances. He can play he can for lead both off sides. every inning. Yeah, he can lead off every inning. So, um, you know, I, I think that with those minor league. Games maybe he can make the the season, but I don't think either way that it's going to be a big deal, and I won't. I'm not going to take too much off the top. He didn't have a great arm anyway defensively. If you're talking about real baseball, mm-hmm. and then and you know when it comes to batting, I don't think that uh, Tommy John is or Tommy, it's not Tommy John yet. But Thank elbow you. situations have been as important as 
uh, shoulder and wrist. Agreed there. So we're not really moving him off our board or down our board too much right now. Kind of keep AJ Pollock there. Maybe actually, maybe it's a buying opportunity because if others are reacting strongly to it and, it and it presses his price down, that's a chance for you to get in and maybe get Pollock a little bit cheaper than you would have if you drafted two weeks ago. Uh, listen, I don't want to do too much back padding. Actually, no, I love I love back padding, particularly when we get one right. But it was the sleeper and the bust. That was talking up Tyler Naquin. Maybe it was right around the uh, Abraham Almonte suspension. Maybe even before that. I can't remember exactly when. But we were talking about Tyler Naquin. And now we're seeing news that he's on track to be the starting center fielder, at least against righties, so the strong side of a platoon, for the Cleveland Indians. What do you think about this? I saw it coming because he ended up being my AL Labor reserve first reserve pick, I think. Mm-hmm. The reason I did that was because he is one of the few true center fielders on that roster. People were talking like Rajai Davis was going to play center, and I think that boat sailed a long time he's ago. He's just not a full-time center fielder. And, and yeah. you know, he, he's a he's a every once in a while center fielder, more of a left fielder. He's never really had an arm. So, yeah, Naquin, 25-year-old, who can actually play center, center field. The hitting might not be uh, there immediately, but the one thing he should be able to do is to play some solid defense up the middle for the Indians. Right, and I think that's that's basically why he's getting the job. Almonte's gone for so long that you can actually talk about Naquin keeping it until Brantley comes back. And even when Brantley comes back, he's not a very good center fielder. So Naquin has a chance here to cement uh, an actual full-year role. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our our depth charts, I don't think, have quite given him that credit yet. They have boosted him up uh, to 287 plate appearances. But 287 plate appearances is not a full-year platoon role. A full-year platoon role is closer to what Zips has, which is 402 plate appearances. Exactly. And I'll give I'll give Naquin more. He, he has a nice spray approach. When he's going right, he makes more contact than he did last year. And I'm going to give him... Uh, you know, even with an adjustment period, I'll give him steamer strikeout rate, which is 22.5%, and uh, give him a little more upside, you know, league average type uh, walk rate. So I'll give him sort of an 8% walk rate, 22% strikeout rate, and, um, you know, a 120-ish ISO, which I think uh, means that he's going to be like a 250-260 hitter uh, with an on-base percentage over 300 and uh, the type of steals that would get you maybe 15 to 20 steals over the course of a season, even you know, even in the, 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 the two-thirds type role, I think he could get to double digits, 12 steals. So, um, you know, I think he's a, a good little player. Definitely an AL-only play right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, if, and, I, and if anybody's listening from, from AL Labor, as much as I like him, uh, with the news that Drew Hutchinson's going to be a AAA starter... Uh, I, I you're looking to make a trade to trade Naquin. I'd be willing to trade Naquin for your ace, and um, <laughs> my my follow up uh, my follow up is uh, for your worst starter. <laughs> if you don't <laughs> want to do it for the ace, I I guess I'll settle for your worst starter. But it has to be one of those two, either the ace or the worst starter. So yeah, we like Naquin. Definitely an AL guy, maybe a super deep league if it, if it's mixed, 15 teams in the reserve. Uh, he shouldn't be getting too much attention. Not going to blow the doors off of any one category, but he has hit over 300 in the high minors, double A and triple A. 
for a decent number of plate appearances. He hasn't spent too much time in the low minors. College product, I believe, out of Texas A&M. So, you know, he can hit the ball, should be decent. Probably will bat near the bottom of the order, though, because um, I think they're just going to bump up Lindor and Kipnis uh, with uh, Santana and, Apple, and Brantley once he comes back. will be batting third again. So keep an eye on Tyler Naquin for sure. He's now tracking toward that starting center field job. And then the last bit of news is uh, Kevin Gaussman has a little bit of shoulder tendonitis. So that's a little bit of a bummer. But uh, doesn't look like it's going to keep him too far back uh, in, in terms of even if it's a DL stint, it'll be one of those ones where he comes back really quickly. But I'm not even sure he's going to have to ha- have to do that. It might just be a fifth starter role where you know they don't even usually need the fifth starter early on, so he could you know start April 13th or something for his for his debut. Is the shoulder tendonitis pushing you off of Gaussman at all? No, I I mean. It's not good news, but he he should be a guy that that should be okay health wise. I mean, in terms of non mechanics stuff, I mean he throws a, a change up a lot, and um, he has I, I don't know if he has command is such a hard one. He doesn't walk a lot of guys, and when we used walk rate as a proxy for command, we found that guys with Low uh, low walk rates did age did age better and stay off the DL more often. So, you know, uh, he has some good markers for health, but at the same time, he throws pretty hard. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and, every, and that's an injury precursor when you're throwing 95 on the reg. Yeah. So, um, shoulder tendonitis never good. Uh, young enough, and they don't seem to make such a big deal about it. That. I would say more of a long-term concern, something you want to remember for keeper leagues. Like if he has a good year this year, uh, but it's not an amazing year, maybe that's the time to sell him, actually. I mean, by now, he's already 25, and uh, you know, not every good young year like turns into better years later on, so... And he's cheap enough that uh, you know this shouldn't really affect John Gaussman. He's going as the 239th player off the board um, in NFBC leagues. So if anything, this will push his price down a little bit more. So I, I don't think you have to freak out too much about it. Like you said, it's never good news, but I don't think it's doom and gloom, take him off your list kind of news either for Gaussman. So stay tuned to that. But uh, I think the worst it is is a backdated DL stint that, that again, pu- pushes him to mid-April at the most. Yeah, I still like. I mean, I still like the fact that he was getting those pop ups more often with that rising fastball. You know, finally using that that rising fastball correctly, throwing more high fastballs, and uh, throwing the curveball more. Which the curveball is way better than the slider, and has good velocity. And you know, didn't give up a single home run last year, while the slider gives up a home run every game. So, mm-hmm. uh, I would. Uh, I, I still like him as a definite AL only play. Uh, decent uh, final pitcher kind of type guy. Yeah, and super deep mixed league. You can still get him. Uh, we're not we're not jumping off of Gaussman too much. All right, let's talk about some spring training standouts. You know, and and again, I just want to get your read if if these big numbers that these guys are putting up is influencing you. We've only got one guy who is a lockdown guaranteed mixed league guy. Uh, actually, we'll hit on him second. The other guys were all kind of more fringy, some of them super fringy. So I'm very curious if you're now bringing them into view as somebody you should draft in a mixed league or if you're still sticking with them in only leagues. And we'll start with Keon Broxton. 
who has a 914 OPS and six stolen bases for the Milwaukee Brewers. That's a wide open outfield situation. So to have a big spring, it actually matters because the playing time is being decided. So um, are you changing your tune on him at all or, or even beginning to sing a tune? Because I'm not sure anybody was really uh, you know, saying too much about Keon Broxton. In addition to that, by the way, I should mention nine strikeouts, nine walks. I love the one-to-one strikeout-to-walk ratio as well for him, but it's only obviously 29 uh, at-bats. Can't get too wild over it, but I think it is pushing him toward a starting job. What do you think of Keon Broxton in Milwaukee? Man, if that... If that strikeout rate holds, that's going to be a big deal because that's really the big question with him. He's projected into strikeouts every third at bat. And, that's uh, yeah, that is pretty fierce. There's not a lot of guys who do that and stay in the league. He has patience. He has power. He has speed. He can play center. And I don't think, you know, I haven't heard the same. You know, Jabari Blash is another guy that kind of fits the same package. That people are talk, were talking about at one point. He got picked up in Rule Five for Rule San Five Diego. pickup. I think he has three or four homers too. So you know he's not he's not tearing the cover off the ball, um, but you know taking some walks, hitting for power. But he is still striking out a bunch. This is Blash wow. now, and that's and that's what I'm saying about Blash is that I've talked to some people that have watched him and they said that they've seen him miss in batting practice, and <laughs> oh uh, so I thought uh, you know. That's not a good sign, and most of the people thought he wasn't. Uh, the people who were watching him thought he wasn't gonna gonna make it. I haven't heard the same. I haven't heard as much about Broxton's uh, whiff rate, I guess. But it is interesting that whiff rate is one of the quicker things to stabilize, and I think it takes about. Or I mean, when I say whiff rate here, I mean strikeout rate. Yeah, and I think we've learned from the studies, you know, because folks have tried to study what what in spring training could matter. And the one thing that keeps kept coming up was strikeout and walk rates for both pitchers and hitters. And if you see some advancements there, that those might actually be actionable. So to see Broxton with the nine walks and nine strikeouts, that's got to be encouraging. Even if you're not getting hung up on the 345 average, uh, the six steals, that's great because he has speed. So that's just in line with what he's done in the past. This could end up being a good little player, probably an NL only type, no matter what, because he's probably going to bat near the bottom of the order. But if, but if that plate patience is legitimate, wouldn't you rather have him at the top of the order than Jonathan VR, which is what roster resource currently has. They got VR leading off and Broxton at eight. Wouldn't you almost flip them given Broxton's plate patience? Yeah, I mean, Brock's, uh, VR has had more at-bats, but actually, I don't know if it's the necessarily many more plate appearances. Just adding up at-bats, because they don't do plate appearances. Yeah, they just do at-bats. But uh, if you add up at-bats plus walks, Broxton has had 38, and VR has had 39. So, you know, in terms of plate appearances, they might be right there with each other. And Broxton has had nine walks against nine strikeouts, and VR has had two walks against 13 strikeouts. So... Yeah, I think with the new, more saber-friendly, you know, regime there, I think that they could easily install uh, Broxton at the top of the lineup and, and see what he's got and see if they found something. And what does a nine strikeouts in thirty-eight is uh, third play thirty-eight plate appearances is not great, but it's a lot better than he's projected. That's a twenty-four percent. Um, yeah, if he can do that in the regular season, even even if he can do twenty-five percent. In the regular season, I think we're going to see 
that he can hit maybe 230 with a 320 on base percent or something like that. I mean, it would be a big difference. It really and, would because he's a 28. Keon Broxton's a 28% strikeout rate guy in 3,400 uh, minor league plate appearances. So, <clears throat> pardon me. He really is showing some improvement here, even at 24, 25%. Yeah. So, I mean, if that does hold, then there could be something there, and the power and speed make him make him something. Also, uh, 38 plate appearances is uh, not. Close to the stabilization, that's about 100 you want uh, for regular season. But it's, it, like you said, it's the, the quickest thing to stabilize among the, the stats we've got other than like pull and ground ball rates, which we don't really have for these guys in the mm-hmm. sprint. Um, so, you know, we're stuck looking at velocity, uh, plate appearances, and then, you know, just giving a little, a little look at, at strikeouts and walks and, uh, on all those fronts, it, it looks like Keon Broxton is going to be a starter, and he has power and speed and should be picked up in most deeper leagues. Now, I don't think I would pick him up in a 15-team league. There's just too many guys on the back end of a 15-team league that are more exciting. Domingo Santana himself has yeah, his own teammate. a ton of, ton of play appearances, and I've seen him go really late. In fifteen in fifteen rounders, he's Domingo Santana is one of those guys that goes three hundred plus in ADP in NFPC. So uh, you know, I'd rather have Domingo Santana than Keon Broxton. But uh, in those leagues where that's not a choice, then uh, Broxton becomes interesting. Now I mentioned that we do have one guy in here who's already going in all leagues. He's a top one hundred guy, but his big spring maybe could be pushing him closer to the top fifty. That's Mike Franco, who has seven home runs. Uh, so far this spring, just tearing the cover off the ball. And is there a chance that he ends up becoming this year's Chris Bryant, who ends up, you know, remember Chris Bryant was just scaling the ranks last year. And by the end of the end of draft season, late March, early April, you know, he was what, sixth round, fifth, sixth round guy. Uh, is that a situation that we're going to see out of Michael Franco? Is he going to push himself up from pick 94 to say, you know, pick 60 or something? Yeah, I think that's happening right now. And I think it's worth discussing if, you know, he's still a value there. Yeah, at that, at that point, like Bryant, he has to perform now because that's what was leaving me away from leading me away from Bryant last year was uh, I understood the talent, but I'm like, well, now he has to perform where he's going. But at the same time, and it's interesting that they're all third basemen. It's just coincidental because the same thing was happening to Nolan Arenado, but I was actually in on that one. So I don't know if maybe I was just heartened by Coors and the fact that he wasn't a rookie. Uh, And Franco isn't a rookie either. So he does have the the season of of work under his belt last year, although he did miss time, so it's not a full season. But we've seen him perform in the majors. This is a big power outburst here, you know, confined to 16 games, and nobody's expecting him to, to hit for that po- kind of power all year. But can he be a you know 25, 30 homer guy this year instead of maybe a more of a 20 homer guy? I, you know, the first time we ever talked about Michael Franco on this show, I said that, you know, I'd be more likely to end up with him on my teams than Miguel Sano in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You know, and I said that that was because Miguel Sano had more prospect pedigree, so he's going to cost more. But because of his strikeout rate, had probably a higher bust rate. And that, you know, even if I was trading ceiling for floor, I felt better about Franco's bust rate. And I just, I, I'm always trying to get those low strikeout rate, high slugging percentage guys. I think Franco really showed everything that he could be last year. 
The only thing that makes me worried a little bit is that his swing strike rate was above average, but he's so aggressive that I think particularly in his youth, he may not age that well if he's got that higher swing strike rate than, than strikeout rate type thing. You know, uh, I think about Josh Hamilton, who did that for a while. And Josh Hamilton was so aggressive that he got to the ball before his swing his swing strikes turned it into a striker out, if that makes any sense. No, it, it, it definitely does, because Franco is known for having a, a nice stri- strikeout rate, 16% for the power that he offers. But what you're saying is with an 11% swinging strike rate, not that it's necessarily a mirage, because right now he's talented enough to make that contact, but maybe as things maybe get figured out a little bit more, then yeah. the strikeout rate could go up and be a little bit more commensurate with the swinging strike rate for Franco. But while he's young, I think he's going to have some excellent seasons. I think the projections are low on these 21 to 23 home run numbers. I think he's going to – I think he is this year's Arenado. He's in a great home park. He, StatCast loves him. All of the exit velocities are great, and he can hit – he's one of those guys that can hit – he hit one that was uh, at his eyeballs yeah. last year. He's hit them, you know. He's hit homers on every part of the the, the plate. So, he can golf them. He can he can chop yeah. them, and and they're and they're both homers. It's crazy what he can do with the bat. He almost has a Vladimir Guerrero feel to him sometimes yeah. when he's swinging at crazy pitches for Frank. And I, I I really like him. I would I would pay those prices. I mean, I'd I'd rather not pay uh, fifth round prices. Um, but I think he can still return. I think he can still top. He can return top three round stuff. And I and I think there's the the sort of 5 to 10% chance that he is a first-rounder at the end of the year. So, um, you know, <clears throat> I think it's worth it, man. I think this is one of those trains we got to jump on. I'm I know you. it sucks, and you wish that – sometimes you wish your draft was later in the year because your guy got hurt, and sometimes you wish the draft was earlier in the year because, you know, now you got to pay Michael Franco prices for Michael Franco. But um, – this is how it is. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I actually ended up getting him for 17 bucks in that mixed head-to-head auction, um, and I I was fine paying it. You know, I, I could have seen him actually going higher. <clears throat> Pardon me, I was surprised that he didn't go higher, uh, but I'm not complaining because I was the one who rostered him. To your point about the the escalating price, his high now, Michael Franco and NFBC, the highest he's gone is pick 45. And he's averaging 95, so that tells you he's on the rise for sure. And by the time, you know, uh, uh, two weeks from now when we're finishing up the, that final weekend of drafts right before that opening day on, on uh, April 3rd, he could be a firm top 50 pick in most drafts. And I'm with you. I'm going to pay it even though I don't really want to. That's I had the same thing with Arenado, though. I was like, it's a guy that I believe in. I'm going to pay the price. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'll, I'll, I'll eat it. I'm not worried about it. And we talked about how bad the third round bats are. So, exactly. That's you know, that's another good point. The, the third round bats are so bad that you're basically, you know, on some level, you, like in my OBP league, tout. Um, you know, I wish that I had thought of Michael Frank. Although in OBP, he's a little bit less exciting, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't, I don't think I'd go from there. But uh, you know, I was looking at Jason Hayward because of his OBP and power and speed, and uh, a pitcher. But the pitchers, you know, the, the pitching is pretty deep at that point. I ended up getting Degrom and don't feel that bad about it. So, um, you know, you know, sliding Franco into your third round, especially the end of the third third round in uh, in non OBP league in a fifteen teamer, is not crazy. I'd rather get him in the fourth or fifth. But uh, you know, if that's if that's if you see there's still more potential like I do, then 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 go for it. I mean, you shouldn't be too married to ADP. I know some people are like never look at it, and then some people are like always look at it. 
uh, you shouldn't be too married to it because, especially in snake drafts, you got to take that guy. You I mean if you, you mm-hmm. you're not going to get another pick for another twenty thirty picks. So that, you know that's a great point. Like people get so hung up on on the raw number of ADP, but if you don't have a chance, like his is pick ninety five, Franco's is. But if your net your closest pick to pick ninety five is eighty. Well, then you got to take him because there's a good chance that he'll be gone by the time it gets back around to you. Or if you pick it, if you pick at fifty or sixty, and it's one of those, it's one of those long picks where you know you pick at sixty and you don't pick again till you know eighty nine, you know, uh, then you know you're gonna you're gonna maybe want to take that leap too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, this next guy is also a third baseman. He's got me a little bit vexed, so I'm, I'm hoping maybe you can shed some light here because I don't know what to make of Danny Valencia. I've been coming in saying I'm not going to take him. I think he's a you know a bust candidate uh, within reason. It's not like he's being overdrafted or anything. He's a 243rd guy off the board, so I don't want to overstate it. But I'm like, I don't know that he's a full-time guy. He all of a sudden hits righties at age 30 after never hitting them before. I'm a little bit perplexed. And yet, now we see him come into spring and continue to rake the way he did last year uh, when he joined Oakland. He has five homers and a 1471 OPS. I don't want to make too much out of spring, but maybe this guy's better than I thought. He used to be a lefty masher. If he adds a, a, a solid average or above average component against righties to his game, then he is a lot better than I'm giving him credit for. What do you think of Danny Valencia? Well, this is interesting. His career spring training stats, 316, 361, 902 OPS. Oh, wow. And uh, his career MLB stats, 267, 310, 736 OPS. So on some level, he's always loved spring training. Okay, that, that's, a great, that's a great point. I see. I didn't, I didn't see that. And, uh, you know, with him at his age, 31, I think we're, we're getting excited about the results stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, yes, it's nice. Actually, five strikeouts against three walks. That part is good. Also, 31 at-bats, which on this team is interesting because, you know, you're trying to figure out what these, these roles are going to look like. However, however. However. That's however. so funny. I always say it like that. <laughs> that's a Stephen A. Smith reference for people who don't know. Two of the, uh, the, two of the top four in at-bats on the A's are currently Andrew Lambeau and Jake Smolenski. So on some level, you know, the team is trying to get a good look at what's happening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the other standout guy in spring for Oakland right now that everyone's talking about is Matt Chapman, their third base prospect. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to make it, but he has 30 at bats. And, you know, they're hanging in there with some They're giving a real good look. They didn't he didn't they didn't cut him in the first round uh, of cuts that, that went to the minor league team. So. Um, you know, you don't you don't know what they're looking for. Chris Coughlin, Coughlin has as many uh, plate appearances as Valencia, and that's the two that we think uh, have something going on there. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the, the team watching them are human beings, but they're tracking things other than they're they're probably looking at exit velocity, which you know Valencia hitting home runs probably doing pretty good at. But uh, you know they're tracking platoon stuff. We don't even know if those five home runs came off of lefties. We don't know if. You know, other teams are also doing things where they're like, well, let's leave the lefty in against Valencia because we want to see if this lefty can get some righties out. And, oh, well, guess not. Yeah, let, let's give this lefty <laughs> a challenge 
against a known lefty killer. Oh, damn it. That, there it went 420 feet the other way. Never okay. Mind. Still our loogie. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, and yeah, there's, there's no way unless you've seen them to, to dig in and see, you know, his splits for the spring training. That's just not going to work. So I'm not really moving on, on Valencia right now. I will say that we will have a follow up on this, um, probably next episode that we do, which will likely be Friday. Cause I put in a call or an email rather to our own Dan Farnsworth, uh, hitting guru, just asking him, has he seen any changes or if he hasn't looked at him, if he could go ahead and take some time to look at him to see if there's been any changes against righties that might, um, identify why Valencia has gotten so much better at such an advanced age, because normally you don't see this kind of spike at age 30, which is the biggest reason that I'm skeptical. All right, and then our next guy up is Gene Segura, another guy that I'm not I'm not so keen on. So I'm 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 coming in with an open mind. If you're going to tell me some good things, but uh, he hasn't really been good since that first half season when he came up and really dominated as a decent power, big speed guy. Uh, he was excellent, I, I think, for three three months, like literally a first half, and then hasn't done anything since. He's hitting well in spring, 525 average, five extra base hits for Arizona. I think they've been talking about maybe leading him off, and I do like that offense as a whole. So if he is leading off, then Segura does become interesting, particularly in NL only where uh, shortstop is a wasteland. But I, I've been leaning away from him, and, and again, maybe I'm wrong on him, but I see two homers, four steals, big spring numbers. Maybe I'm coming a little bit closer to him. What do you think about Gene Segura? Nick Ahmed has a 1,200 OPS right now. Which puts it into perspective how easy <laughs> spring training can be because Nick Ahmed is, is minus minus stick. He's widely regarded as one of, you know, he's kind of the Nick Punto of his current era here. He's a good <laughs> defender. He's probably going to stick around the league for a decade because he can play defense, but he's not a good bat. So that's a great point right there, right off the bat. And uh, I don't know. I, I I have actually defended Zagura in, these, in this way, which is, that he had a really terrible year in 2014, I think it was, when he lost uh, his son. Yeah, tragically. And, and uh, you know, that was a bad year for him, and, and, and across the board, everything just fell apart. The, the problem with that line of reasoning is that last year was not uh, any better, really. His Babbitt kind of came back to, you know, a normal a normal. It was actually place. worse if you look at WRC+, 66 yeah. to 62. Yeah, fewer walks. And even the spring, one one walk against a six strikeout, so not necessarily improving in the walks thing, which I think is relevant to where they put him in the lineup. Um, but you know they're not the most forward-thinking group, and he does he has been taking off more than Ahmed, so they might say, well, he's speedy and he's hitting us not out of the ball. <laughs> they so. definitely talk like that in their meetings. Hey guys, I think <laughs> I got guys. a speedy guy up at the top, James Sakura. How about that? <laughs> I, I believe it. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I like it. it. What do you say, guys? Yeah. <laughs> a bum elbow for AJ Pollock. Who cares? Don't put him on the DL. Let's just let him play through it. <laughs> put some dirt on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I don't think we're really changing too much on him. Um, he kind of is what he is. And if if you are in an NL only, that is where I would consider him more, even as somebody who doesn't like him, again, because shortstop is so bad in the National League. But that says more about the player pool than it does Gene Segura. I'll push him a little bit just because we've seen him. I mean, it's sort of the Chandler theory of we've seen him, you know, do have the plus Babbitt. We've mm -hmm. seen him sting the ball and, and, and have that kind of, I kind of, I go to, I go to Brandon Phillips a little bit, you know, not good play discipline, 
you know, doesn't look like it's going to be that good, but then shows surprising tools and power and ability to, to, to have a nice BABIP and, and float the whole thing. So I will uh, uh, float Segura a little bit, maybe in uh, keeper leagues, because like, Eugenio Suarez is now going to play third base, and he's, he's the guy right ahead of him. So I could see in a keeper league saying, well, Segura is more likely to keep middle infield you know, position eligibility. Yeah, because Suarez yeah. is going to, like you said, play third for Cincinnati. He could lose his shortstop eligibility this year, particularly if Zach Cozart stays healthy all year. Right, and the, and his his line, even though it's better real baseball, I don't think that's necessarily better fantasy baseball. And then Alexi Ramirez, I think, yeah, might be toast. He might be. But I, I hope his defense can at least hold up because I think he'll be a boon for Tyson Ross and Andrew Kashner for sure. Yeah, the defense, you know, his hands are, are quick. He just he just won't be positioned. And uh, that's what I've heard. He's, he won't be positioned. So Oh, he, he doesn't like to shift at all? Yeah, he's just pretty – well, he'll shift, but he won't – because that's such a drastic thing that they point you over there. But, like, he won't – he doesn't do a lot of, like, step here, step there. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, headiness. I would have he's, thought he did because he is such a good shortstop. I would have thought that he was... It's mostly tools. Okay. He's, a, he's got really, really nice hands. Okay. But uh, other than that, I don't know. Jose Reyes gone for a big deal. So those those are the three names ahead of him. So he'll rise up. But he'll rise up with Brad Miller probably. Mm-hmm. And maybe Eric Ibar and Didi Gregorius, the, the guys that were below um, below that tier. In I like Didi games. this year, by the way. Yeah, I do, and I like I like Didi. Eric Ibar is just so boring, boring, boring. Mm-hmm. That I will I will keep Zagura ahead of him, and so that that's you know that gets Segura into like possible fifteenth, sixteenth best shortstop. So you, you you could just you know do the screw position eligibility uh, approach and take him as you know the last shortstop and say hey. Guys, I'm hoping to get 25 steals and a 275 batting average out of my shortstop, and in the meantime, the rest of my lineup is is killer. Or you know, 15 uh, team MI uh, definitely he's definitely there now. And anything less than that, I'd only want him as a bench pair, maybe like a semi and Segura p- pairing, uh, where you you're putting two you're kind of putting two lotto tickets on your team. Yeah, and see, seeing if one of them can pop. And, you know, as down as we are on Segura, it's worth noting he had 31 uh, SBs plus homers last year. It was obviously weighted heavily toward stolen bases, but then he had 25 the year before. So he's a guy that even when he's been hitting poorly, still getting you 20 and 25 stolen bases the last two years for Segura. So it does fill a need, and we, we've talked all winter about how uh, speed has been, you know, much rarer these days. So... You know, there there is some fantasy usefulness here. Just don't go crazy over it, particularly if you're looking at those spring numbers and trying to find a reason to get excited. All right, our last guy before we get on to your rank updates, uh, your starting pitcher rank updates, is Daniel Nava. Now, he's got a 500 average, and I'm less concerned about the numbers and more concerned about what they're doing for him, which is angling him toward a starting left field spot in Anaheim. Now, we know that their outfield is brutal outside of Trout and Calhoun. That, that left field is a total black hole. Um, I think Todd Cunningham was the first guy that Roster Resource had slotted in or, you know, a few months ago back in January. The, obviously, that has changed now, but Nava's looking like the guy, a one-time OBP guy. If he's batting first or second ahead of Trout and Pujols and Calhoun, is there any value there? I think I think Jason Collette took him as a reserve pick in the uh, Tout AL. Might not be a bad pick. What do you think of Daniel Nava? Is there is there one last kick there for him, or is he is he, is he garbage? 
I think there's something going on here. He's a switch hitter. So, you know, uh, on a team that, you know, I think needs something like him. Yeah, they're you know, desperate. They, I mean, they need they need a. I think they need it. It's not just like uh, they need some guys in left field. I think they kind of need a starter there because honestly, CJ Crone could be platoonable. Absolutely. You know, at first base, and um, you know, Yunel Escobar. I don't know if he needs a, a caddy by handedness, but he gets injured, and he's not you know the best offensive third baseman, or, or you know, he's not really there. He's Babbitt dependent. The third baseman, yeah, and even Cole Calhoun has shown some 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 splits there. So you know, and and CJ Crone is playing at first, and we you know Pujols might make opening bid, but if he doesn't, then you know DH is G Man Choi or something. So uh, I think they would really love for Nava to be the starter in left field all the time, Craig, Craig Drenchery to be a backup center fielder, a backup all fielder. Yeah, he's got to be a backup. And then use the the next slot as a sort of offensive guy that can play DH. So probably G-Man Choi or, um, I don't know, Jeffrey Marte. or, or It depends on, on Pujols' health. But, Damn, they're really scraping the barrel there for a team that <laughs> is, is supposed to be contending. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little gross. But um, anyway, I think that there is a, a chance that this we've got a full-time starter. Now, I, you know, the projections, he's uh, 33. He's kind of one of these, uh, you know, barely good enough for the league type guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he has the patience and doesn't strike out too much. But if, you know, the power comes and goes and then the power is not there, he kind of like looks like like a middle infielder playing left field. Yeah. But... Do you remember what he did on his first at bat ever? What did he do? He had like a grand slam or something? Yeah. He had a grand slam <laughs> off of regular was, Joe Blanton, not Stanley Joe Blanton. That was his only home run in 188 play appearances that year. <laughs> That's hilarious. See, I didn't know that. I knew he hit the grand slam. I would have definitely guessed that he hit a couple more. I mean, he's hit 24 home runs in 1,600 play appearances since. So, uh, you know, or 23, I guess, since that counts as one. But, but uh, if you need some PT, some playing time, and some cheap runs, perhaps, that could yeah. be a, a good a good place to go he, in an AL only. He even hit in a decent spot with his OBP. Exactly. Uh, That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So I, I think Socha, as, as far gone as some people think he is, he'll, um, he'll, uh, he'll recognize that, too. So. I yeah, I think, uh, I think there's something there. I don't know if he'll hit double-digit homers. I have a feeling that if they are, if they're good, then that'll be a position they want to upgrade in the middle of the season. And if they're bad, I think they may want to look at a, a, a prospect oh, there. Yeah, that's so fair. So it's, it's hard to say, like, 600 plate appearances. Mm-hmm. Write them up. You know, it's more like um, 300 to 400 before – the team makes a move in other direction. But, Maybe he's uh, an he's an April May guy to kind of get you through until you find your big waiver pickup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you, if you still haven't drafted and you're in a deep league, I think there's a decent thing to be said for maybe a Nava Mazara type thing. You have to draft Mazara first, you I know. Like what I'm that. Uh, but maybe Nava can get you to Mazara. You know that that sort of deal. Navagallo is interesting, too. You're waiting on Beltre to get hurt. He gets hurt every year, and then Gallo's going to have a, a job. So Nava, Nava, saying Nava and then Gallo made me say Gallo. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think his name is Joey Gallo. I don't think it is either. It's Gallo. 
It, it, I do think it is Nava. Yes, if it is. If it's Nava, I quit. No, it's definitely not. I promise you. <laughs> I, know, I know that sometimes. All apologies to L- Lana, Lana. Oh, yeah. I cannot. Lana, Lana. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not even going to say the name. <laughs> it's hard. It's too hard. It's too, how, how can you say that same name two different ways with no accents anywhere? It's crazy. Can't, can't deal with it. But yeah, it is definitely Daniel Nava. He's a reserve guy to keep it in perspective. Jason got him in a 12-team AL only as his fourth reserve pick. So you don't have to overspend here. At the worst, if if it comes out that he is you know going to be a starter and he's batting second, I think he becomes a $1 AL guy at the, at the most. So don't go crazy. But if you need some PT, again, to kind of cover you to get to your prospect – that well, I mean, you know, have you seen AL labor one dollar guys? Maybe he's a two dollar guy, uh, just because the one dollar <laughs> guy. There's some bad ones. <laughs> yeah, right. NL's worse though. Go look at the NL board. It was, it's so filthy late. It is yeah. so bad. Well, because the there's no DH, so there's no, there's no. That's like a bunch of extra plate appearances. Yeah, it, it it it's crazy. It's crazy. So yeah, we'll we'll probably talk a little bit more. Uh, Michael Bourne was like a probably a three four dollar guy. Let me see what he was actually. God. No, he was a reserve. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, he actually made it into the reserves. Like, but it was like Ryan Rayburn, Peter Borchos. People were probably like, ooh, good pick. <laughs> yeah. Oh, of course, of course. When it, especially with the name you recognize in the third round of a reserve. Ooh, nice pick. Not really. Not <laughs> pick. All right, let's talk some starting pitchers. It's been a while because our last episode was all hitters, so we're getting back into our wheelhouse here, and we're talking about your rankings, which you've updated, and we're going to talk about the biggest movers and fallers. Um, we're focusing on the top 100 because those are the guys most likely to be drafted regularly. So we're looking at your five biggest movers upward and your five biggest followers which is obviously downward don't really need to say that uh first let's start with matt moore somebody who is starting to get a lot of buzz everywhere so i'm not surprised that uh that you jumped him up here by the time you draft if you haven't drafted yet if he's somebody you are eyeing you better get ready to pay a little bit for matt moore you had him at 98 um just over a month ago on, on February 16th, and now you got him up at 74 right now. He's looking sharp in spring, particularly his stuff is drawing rave reviews. Uh, it's kind of matching what he did toward the end of last year, which is what earned him this buzz in the first place. So is this a post-hype guy that you're really uh, taking a shine to now, Matt Moore? Uh, you know, I'm going to give credit on that one to you guys. You and Colette and uh, one more nameless person who convinced me to look at him again. And uh, so I looked at his movement. He got some rise back on that fastball. He got the velocity back. We knew that. And, um, you know, I think that some of last year was just uh, post-Tommy John. We knew that that he didn't have great natural command. Exactly. And we, and we knew that, that Tommy John, you know, throws a wrinkle in, in that sort of situation. So, you know, I, I, I think of guys with, without, without great natural command – you know, you Darvish is one of the big fallers, not to jump ahead, but you Darvish is one of the big fallers, not only because teams are going on more of a 15-month timeline than a 12-month timeline now. So even though he had it last spring, TJ, last spring, he's probably going to come in and um, and and be, you know, miss at least two months of the season, I think. And then I on top of that. more, by the way. He, Everyone's saying he's going to come back like May 1st. I don't see it. No, I think he's going to miss at least two months of the season. And then on top of that, he doesn't have great natural command himself. So 
I don't know if he's on the level of Matt Moore in terms of lack of command, but we, we may not see real Udarish until the next year. And maybe he'll even be a potential value pick then because he might have had a, not the greatest year this year. So uh, anyway, that's that's jumping ahead. I, I'm sort of now talking about Matt Moore as Udarvish in 2017 in that he's got that adjustment period behind him. He's healthy. He's got the year in front of him. And then, you know, I watched a little bit of his starts. He gave up his first or second walk in Cuba. Uh, he can hit the outside part of the plate really nicely with the, with the fastball and the curveball. So, you know, I saw both those things looking really nice. The changeup is, is usually there for him. So, uh, you know, and then I talked to somebody in the game who was like, man, people are sleeping on Matt Moore. And uh, so uh, I, I, I think at the very least he's a great, you know, 70. I have not 74 now. That's where I love to get, you know, I, I pay real attention. It's not like I don't pay real attention to all my ranks, but I, I will admit that from like 160 to 190. This is so it's tough. It's the group of guys. It's so man. tough to differentiate. <laughs> yeah, you pick, you pick somebody down there. <laughs> yeah, that's why in the SP guide, I only ranked my top 101 and then kind of broke things off because I can't tell you a difference between 130 and 160. That A difference enough that I'm going to say you have to take this guy at 130 and you cannot take that other guy until 160 because honestly, once you get past 100, it starts to become about preference anyway. You just might have a feel for a guy um, on somebody in that ranking that you just want to take way over the, those other guys. So I'm totally with you. And zero to fifteen is important, I guess. But on the same level, zero to fifteen for me is one tier. Exactly. So you know, moving those guys around is just you know, you like somebody was like, you really think you know Salazar is is such a pick over Hamels? I'm like, dude, it's it's one pick. Yeah, it's, like, they're no, right really. next to each other. Yeah. And he was like, well, I think Hamels is safer. I'm like, well, then take Hamels. I mean, take him exactly. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, a you like you. I hope you guys are making your own decision based on you know some of the data and some of the information we give you. And then B, you know, I, I I'm not so married to my picks that my my ranks that one and the other is you know a big deal but from 70 to 100 i really spent a lot of time looking 70 to 100 and you know 20 or so i spent a lot of time in there because that's where i think a lot of drafts are won and i think matt moore jumping from the sort of bottom of that to the top of that is really significant also vince velazquez going from 102 to 83 same sort of deal because at 102 he was part of that group of guys like jose barrios and, and Lucas Giolito, who are now in that sort of 100 range, he was in that group where it's like, well, I don't know if they're going to play, mm -hmm. but if they do, they're going to be pretty good. And uh, But now, uh, I guess it's uh, the story is that it's not Peacock. Who, who's the guy who went over there? Uh, Oberholzer. Oberholzer's in the pen. Good. I, and, I was going to be so mad if Oberholzer... Uh, ousted Velasquez and, and, and cost him a spot. And I, yeah, it was just going to be playing time stuff anyway if that happened. But uh, uh, is in the pen now, and Adam Morgan seems like the only guy to between Vince Velasquez and, and the role. And just the the fact that that's that that a domino has fallen makes me feel like I mean Adam Morgan is is is, a, is an inferior pitcher too. So. You know, I, I, I'm all over Velasquez, and he's just a step behind because Matt Moore has the role and is the guy, and that's good. Uh, Conley moving from 110 to 91, same story where uh, now he's throwing 93-94 in games. He's getting his velocity back. This is velocity exactly that 
what we talked about. Yep. Yeah, he had this velocity in the minors. He lost it when he had a little bit of arm trouble um, just before he reached the majors, and it started to show in flashes last year, and now it's showing consistently. So we're big on on Conley. I loved seeing that he was one of your big movers. Yeah, and I saw Keith Law say that you know he doesn't like his breaking ball, and it's a valid point because it's definitely his third best pitch, but. You know, even as it was last year, it got 15% whiffs, and he threw over 100 of them. So I'm, I'm, you know, sometimes not great pitches do well in the context of a of a larger package. And I think Conley has great touch and feel. He's uh, got a great changeup, and now he's got good velocity. So I and, and the park is there for him. So. You know, if you if you want to go for you don't really want to go for safety in these picks, but if you really need innings, I guess the deeper your league is, you know, I might take Conley over Velasquez because we still don't know. But Velasquez's ceiling is higher because he has three potentially plus plus pitches and more velocity. Um, but uh, still like him, Kyle Gibson moving from ninety seven to to seventy nine was more about uh, about what happened around him. Okay, you know, it wasn't. Uh, I don't, I don't, I haven't, oh, I did look at one thing. He has 11 strikeouts in 11 innings. Yeah, I, I like Gibby, and I, I think that there is some strikeout upside, so I was encouraged by the fact that he's got just about a strikeout per inning so far. Yeah. Never going to make too much over spring training, particularly 12 innings worth, but. But it means he's going for them, right? Exactly, I mean, and I think trying. he can get them. Yeah, he could, he could have pitched this whole, he could have pitched this whole thing with, uh, uh, he could have pitched his whole spring with like three strikeouts and just gotten ground ball after ground ball. So. Yeah, and it would have been same old Kyle Gibson, and we'd be like, okay, he's he is what he is. But uh, no, instead we're seeing a little bit more of the strikeout stuff. And if he keeps the strikeout, if he can get the strikeouts, we don't even need K per inning sort of stuff. If he can get to 20, 21% with his strikeout rate, and, and for context, Kyle Gibson was just at 18% last year, which was 6.7 per nine for him. If he can just get to 20, 21% while maintaining that mid-50s ground ball rate that's a combo that can get gibson into the mid threes with the zra and then all of a sudden you know if, you, if you're kind of operating there then he's a little good luck away from a low threes yeah and that league that we now are co-owners in uh 20 team 28 keeper basically dynasty league um i may have made a mistake i i'm always i'm always uh i'm not the kind of guy that is gonna yell here that i'm not a, i'm not a uh, this is, might be a little political. But I'm not a Donald Trump. I'm, I'm, I'm not. Oh, that trade was the greatest trade I ever made. It was the, I make great deals. I, I, make, I make great trades. By the way, we have Keon Broxton in that league. We should have mentioned. Oh, we do have Keon Broxton. That's yeah. right. Uh, you know, flyer because of, of playing time possibilities. Mm-hmm. But uh, I actually traded Carlos Carrasco for Kyle Gibson, Ozzy Albies, and a, another piece. Such I can't remember what the third piece was. It wasn't one that would change your your idea of the of the trade. Mm-hmm. So either you hate it or you love it. I, I love Ozzy Albies and think that you know things could break right for a kind of Lindor type uh, stuff out of him. You know, eight to ten homers, thirty plus stolen bases, good batting average, an amazing defense will keep him in the lineup. And it's the kind of league where you can't get that kind of prospect unless you get him right before he's a top 10 prospect. Exactly. That That, that so, is a tough league, by the way. I'm, I've been so impressed just kind of watching that. It's my first real experience with a dynasty league, and it's been a lot of fun so and far. We can own everything, anything and everything. So all the first round guys in next year's in this year's draft are already owned and all that stuff. So They're taking high schoolers from freaking down the street over here. 
Uh, <laughs> one guy drafted his own kid, I think. It's crazy. No, I'm obviously yeah. joking about that. But yeah, that, no, it, it goes did, deep. But it was a joke. <laughs> okay, I, I thought so, by the way. When I saw, I was like, that is that his kid? Yeah, okay, that was funny. Uh, but yeah, so you know, we got Gibson in that league. So those are your top three right there. Matt Moore, uh, top four, excuse me. Matt Moore, Vince Velasquez, Adam Conley, Kyle Gibson. Then the last one is Wade Miley. And you know, I've been interested in Miley now for a couple of years, and it hasn't panned out. I think all you have to do is look at the numbers to see it's, it's just been kind of blah. In fact, it's actually been bad the last two years after two good years with the Diamondbacks. He's posted mid fours ERAs with unusable whips, so it's been tough. But now he goes out to Seattle. He's a little bit more acclimated to the American League. Is this the time that we finally see a little something out of uh, out of Wade Miley? I was a little surprised by it, but I think a, you know I had him at one eleven, and it was just that's too low. I mean, I think that uh, he's uh, at least going to have a lot of innings. I think he's in that rotation no matter what, and you know he's at least going to be a volume guy. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, I do think there is some performance and beyond the spring. Because in the spring right now, you, you look and say, well, 540 ERA, what's he you know, looking at? Well, you know, the fact is he's given up three home runs and he's in Arizona. I don't think that he could be in any different of a park situation in Arizona. <laughs> Arizona spring training to Seattle uh, regular yeah. season. Temperature will drop about 30 degrees when yep. he goes home. So I think Miley's, you know, one of Miley's biggest things, and it was, it, the rest of it was just looking at his, his line in the past and saying, well, you know what? He has the pitches to succeed. He has a, a, you know, a wide enough uh, variety of pitches to succeed. He's shown a, ability to get uh, swing strikes in the past, but also at the very least has a nice ground ball floor. And he's going to the best ballpark of his life with respect to homers. And all the projections have him getting worse in the homer department. So if that defense is decent behind him and Marte, Seager sounds, you know, Cano, that sounds like a good infield to me. That's solid. So, absolutely. You know, a lot of grounders to solid gloved infielders, you know, push that Babbitt down to 280, 290, uh, push that home run per nine down to uh, 0.8, you know, something like that. And then you all of a sudden you have something that looks a lot like the, the fans. And you're talking about a 3.8 ERA, uh, you know, 1.3, 1.29 type whip. Uh, I mean, that's it's not gonna it's not gonna win you league, and that's why he's 95 and not in the 80s. Yeah, you know, but it's in the 80s, I'd innings. Take a, Matt Moore, Vince Velasquez, take a shot on that. But 90, I kind of pivot back because if you think about where 90 is in terms of leagues, you know, you kind of you want uh, it, at 90, um, you, you've left behind all the 12 teamers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? And you're all of a sudden into you know the 90th rank. You're into the 15 teamers and the and the deeper leagues. And as soon as you you flip over from you know the sleepers for the 12 teamers down to the oh you know what I need some innings in the back end of my rotation in my 15 team leaguer. Then all of a sudden, you know, Miley jumps up. That's why Shoemaker jumped up a little bit. And I just wanted to name a couple of the guys that jumped up a little bit. Jared Eikhoff uh, has been pitching well this spring. And I just, every time I watch him, I like him more. He closed really strong last year. The, the only reservation I had was that he was kind of at a historical rate against righties and struggled against lefties. And I, I figured that those two would balance out. But if he actually improves a little bit against lefties without giving too much of that righty dominance back, uh, he, he could be solid. Yeah, he has a dominant slide. He has an elite level slider, and then a good curveball. So I think that the changeup is almost irrelevant, and you, you can see why there might be some struggles against lefties there. But he he's been using the curveball a lot this spring, 
and I think that that curve will 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 bring the room together. Chris Medlin beats his his FIP all the time. He's in the park to beat his FIP. They said he's got the role. Danny Duffy's in the in the in the bullpen where he should be. Mm-hmm. And uh, Medlin just seems like a, a a good pitcher that deserved to go up. And then Verlander, I just uh, been listening to you and <laughs> watching him. Have I been talking about him? Have I said? No. Yeah, he, uh, bounced, he bounced looks great in spring too. Fastball, by the way, found some rise on that fastball, mm-hmm. and uh, is throwing the fastball higher in the zone, like you said. Uh, and that's going to make all of his stuff at the bottom of the zone play up. And uh, yeah, so Verlander, I'm happy with Corbin. He's just healthy. He, everything's good. Everything sounds good. And despite the fact that he's never had a great change, he's found something that's worked in the past. And um, so I like. And then Jesse Hahn moved up six spots because he's throwing. His velocity is really good, actually. And he says he's feeling good. Ruby De La Rosa moved up six spots because he's throwing inside. He's throwing inside. The, the reason his changeup didn't work last year against lefties was he threw everything outside because he has bad command. He was afraid of going inside. Yep. Left it and hanging, hanging over the plate too all, when he missed. Yeah. yeah. All the lefties were just hanging over the plate and, and tattooing it. So now I've seen him, he misses inside, but what he's doing is he's throwing it high and in, inside. Right. So when he misses, it's 95 and 96 high in the zone. You know, even, even if it misses like out over the plate, it's still 95, and it's still like at eye level a lot. So he's found a way to, to aim for inside but miss away from the player and miss up so that he's not missing out and down over the plate. And um, so you know, just the intent of going inside and executing it, I don't know, a third of the time is <laughs> crappy as that. His command is minus. He's got minus. Sure. Minus. But he has plus-plus stuff, and he's now sequencing it better. Uh, I do think... He's not a good long-term own, but I do think he's a good short-term own. Well, let's talk about some guys who went the other way then because that actually might even be more interesting because these are the guys that you got to be careful with, um, maybe some added concern for you. And the first one that jumps off the, the page to me is uh, um, Jeff Samarja, and he took a big, big drop down. He was 31 for you in your first run. Now he's 58, 27-spot jump, easily the biggest jump that you had either way, really, because uh, Matt Moore's jump up was only 24 spots, so this move down is 27 spots. Uh, what has you concerned about, about Samarja? Everything. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I he's getting, he's getting tattooed in spring. I, I called him the new Tim Lincecum, and what I, really, what I really hate about it is not so much the homers because he is going to have the nice, you know, Miley-esque uh, change in, in home situation when he goes to AT&T. True. It's the reason behind the homers, which is I don't even know if he's hit 94 this spring. Oh, God. I didn't Some know that about told Svilo. Me they saw a 94, but I've never seen it. I've watched maybe six innings of his over two starts. I have not seen 94. Uh, I, I didn't even see 93. I saw more 92, 91. Someone else told me they saw 93 reliably and I believed him. So, um, let's say he's averaging 92 this, this spring that's down considerably. And it's very meaningful because the number of fast, once you get a fastball over 94, the number of home runs goes down precipitously and the number of swing strikes goes up precipitously. There's a there's a thing that happens at 94. I'm sure it's related to reaction times 
and you know what happens uh, with the pitch and what you can see and all that stuff. So um, I, I think that uh, 94 is. I believe that 94 is an important number. And if he's averaging 92, that means he and not even throwing at 94. That means he's just not going to get that same boost. He needs that boost because he doesn't have great command. He's throwing that cutter too much, and it's the it's an old old pitcher's trick. He's going to it too early. And uh, he got beat up last year on that cutter, so it doesn't seem like a great idea. I mean, just I've still seen the cutter too, so uh, I just don't uh, I don't like anything about it right now. I and I mean maybe I was too aggressive, but at some point when you've made that decision that you don't really want him, all the rest of the names just look better. Yeah, that's true. That that when when you've got your your heart set one way or another on a guy, it, it's weird what it does to all the other names around him. And I, I'm move I'm moving Samarja down too. This was a guy that you know I was kind of in on the consensus. Moving over to that park's going to be helpful, but the park can only do so much. If you're giving up meatballs, then people can still hit home runs out of AT and T. And if not, if it's not homers, then it's going to be doubles and triples in those in those big gaps. So uh, that's problematic what we're seeing out of Jeff Samarja so far. So hopefully it's a dead arm phase, but if it's not, there's big trouble ahead. Um, let's move on to the next guy, Rich Hill. Obviously going out to Oakland, also having a tough spring. Is it because of the tough spring, or is there something else that has you concerned about him? He's got a, he's got a hot little 15-26 ERA uh, with 13 runs allowed in seven and two-thirds, seven strikeouts, but 12 walks. And I think that's the biggest key right there is the 12 walks. Everything else you can kind of let go um, you know, and write it off to a small sample. But 12 walks, that kind of brings back the problems that Rich Hill had throughout his career that really kind of pushed him out of the league for almost a freaking decade or, or, you know, not really out of the league because he'd come up and get a couple starts here or a couple relief appearances there. But by and large, he hasn't been anywhere near a, a mainstay in the league since 2007. So what, what's, what are your feelings on Rich Hill now entering the season at age 36? You know, bad results are one thing, but he's hit a minor league batter. <laughs> he, he, they pushed him over to the minor league side and he hit people. So he's just really got no idea where the ball's going. That was a big deal, a big part of why it didn't work in the first place. Mm-hmm. What you need to do, especially that curveball, what you need to do is get called strikes. You need to get because you're going to get a lot of non swings. Exactly, especially when you start because he pitches backwards almost. I mean, he leads yeah. with the curveball. That's his number one pitch. And as soon as they spot a curveball in a in a fastball count, so let's say he's throwing it in a zero zero count where most people throw fastball, so. As soon as you spot a curveball on that count, you don't swing. And what was genius about Rich Hill's great, you know, run was that that curveball was a strike. And so then you're down 0-1 without him having thrown his fastball. So now you're thinking, okay, now I got to protect on this curveball. You're kind of looking curveball, and all of a sudden 90 with a little bit of rise instead of curveball comes in, and or 89 even it looks like you know 94 to you because he's quote unquote slowed down your bat. Mm-hmm. So, or sped up your, what, I don't even know how people use that. But what I'm saying is he's, 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 he's messed with your timing because you thought fastball and then now you have to protect for curveball because he's going to throw it for strikes. If he can't throw that thing for strikes, then he's not going to be any good because he only has one pitch. It's, so. it's funny. Um, I, I know I always bring up MLB the show, but it's actually, his curveball is his number one pitch on MLB the show. And 
I say 95%, maybe even like 99% of the pitchers on that game, their first pitch is the fastball. And he throws that <laughs> curve so much. It's so important to him that it's actually his primary pitch. It's and like I, Romo as a, as a starter. I mean, that's exactly like, with his slider. Uh, yeah. Or Gregerson. So I don't, I don't think, uh, I think that, you know, the floor for them is a loogie basically. Um, you know, oh, pu- push the, him to the pen and try to get some. Because yeah, they yeah. need six mil. They're not just going to cut bait. Yeah, they're they're okay with. I think they're probably okay with using him as lefty out of the pen. They have they have a decent amount of, of starter depth, and you know they'll give they'll give him a shot. I, I didn't want to move him. I didn't want to overreact. So 90, 90 is still a decent ranking. I think ninety means he's still relevant in, in deeper leagues. He's still a a decent guy. He's still he's not quite droppable for you know. I don't know, an Aaron Sanchez type? I don't know, maybe he is. Uh, Aaron Sanchez looks like he has the inside role, but Aaron Sanchez only has, you know, two pitches. And he has, you know, a complete lack of command as well. Yeah, the only thing that Sanchez has is is that kind of unknown that, that we as a fantasy baseball community kind of fall in love with on a young arm. But right. it's not like he's shown so much that we should be so excited about uh, Aaron Sanchez as a starter. Yeah, and so... Uh, um, oh, that's interesting. Did this quit because of any? Oh, what happened? Huh. Um, just uh, my spreadsheet didn't quite capture all of the uh, movers as well as it should have because of uh, an NA field. Aaron Sanchez messed it all up. Uh, so let me just add some real quick ones here at the end. Okay. Uh, John Lamb dropped a lot, uh, and that, people were wondering about that. That back issue. It's just the back issue, and I wanted John Lamb at 105. It feels better for me because what I want is I want people like I want people to take him in as their last uh, pitcher in a deeper league, where then they can put him on the DL and then go hunting again. Yeah, that's 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 my favorite John Lamb situation right now is take him as your last player, put him on the DL, and then you get another pick, which I think is great. Um, Gilito and Barrios, I actually moved up. Uh, you know, they were in the 130s with a lot of other prospects. I moved them up because they are, I think, outside of that, just a prospect phase. I think they are polished and ready and that their teams could use them. I don't think they're going to use them right out of spring, but I think both of them in June and July, we're going to start hearing about them, especially, you know, Tanner Roark, you know, blows up a little bit. The team is doing okay, but needs a spark. Hey, Lucas Giolito, here he comes. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jose Barrios, they're already, like, the weirdest thing is they're already talking about it like it's going to happen. Like, the, the like, oh, yeah, he'll be up in June. You know, it's like, well, if he'd be up in June, just do it now. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, they dragged their feet on him last year. They, did, they yeah. didn't They didn't bring him up at all. I don't know what that I'm not seeing, but uh, he's there uh, for some reason. I, 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 so, anyway, I, 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 they, they, I think, along with Lamb, are – you know, June pitchers that you pick. That's why they went five, six, seven, you know, one Oh five, one Oh six, one Oh seven. They, they, um, I think they, they're, they're chase Anderson is not striking people out and, uh, he's getting blown up, but he's not striking people out, which I don't like. So he, he dropped about 18 and slots. Might actually be in a tougher park, which is tough to say when you were already in there, in Arizona, yeah. going to Milwaukee is not easy. Drew Hutchinson is, is, um, is starting a triple a not good uh robbie erlin is i think in the rotation I'm, i think robbie erlin and colin ray are in the rotation in san diego so they they jumped up a lot 
Uh, Cody Anderson might have been the biggest. Yep, Cody Anderson was the biggest riser just because Isn't he pumping big velo. Yes, yeah, he's he's uh, he's he's ninety three, ninety four now instead of uh, wherever he was before. Yeah, so, that's a huge difference. He was low nineties from the right side, and it was just kind of like, ah, eh, he's he's blasé. But man, it's almost becoming where Cleveland, you know, gets the most out of everybody, even if they're kind of, you know, if they're a fourth, if they're a fifth starter level talent, then they kind of get them up to a fifth, fourth starter level talent. If they're half their, yeah, half their guys friggin'. Uh, have their guys work with driveline baseball, and driveline baseball is got proven results when it comes to velocity. Trevor Bauer is is pumping ninety six, ninety seven uh, this That's year. Uh, Dan Straley was sitting ninety three. He hasn't sit, sat ninety three since uh, his first year in the league. So um, I've always liked Dan Straley. I'd like to see something out of him. Um, he'll make the team because he's out of options and he's got a nice mix. I think you know maybe he'll be their sixth starter who's actually on the team. Yeah, more like a swingman to start, but then it's not like the rotation is locked down there uh, in Houston. There, there are some pieces that could, you know, I know Doug Fister got some of his velo back and he's looking better, but he's not locked down. Scott Feldman is there with Lance McCullers on the disabled list. There could be an opportunity for Dan Straley, so he's somebody I'm keeping an eye on. Again, particularly more of an later AL on. only situation. Yeah, and, and later on, uh, and then Doug Fister, uh, you know, he's sitting ninety now, so. It's hilarious that that's a big improvement, but it actually is. <laughs> right. uh, so I moved him up to 136. So that's super exciting news. <laughs> uh, we got a couple more here. You already tipped off Darvish, so we'll, we'll move on from him. Um, Scott Casimir and Julio Tehran are your last two. Let's start with Casimir. Is it just injury concerns, or is there? Uh, and his velocity is down as well, isn't it? It is, but it's not as bad as some people reported. They were saying that he was having trouble hitting 89, but apparently a lot of those were misclassified cutters. Okay. Uh, and he was uh, he was had better velocity later on. However, you know the fact that people asked him about it and he didn't say no, I was fine. I was I was sitting right where I want to, and he said no, it's just early in spring or it was not a problem. You know, uh, I think suggests to me that there is something going on there. We know that he's had some issues in the past. Um, with velocity and that he's dropped it. So I think he's he's more – it's injury risk, but not in like a, oh, his elbow might go away. Injury risk sort of combined with performance risk. Okay. Because both of those things went for him at one point. Yeah, that, that's the thing. He's just – he's always shaky at this point. A- anything we've been getting from Casimir feels like gravy because his career was written for dead, and, and it should have been. I, I, don't, I don't think that we, we missed the boat on that. It looked like he was done. So to come back and, and be pretty damn good the way he's been these last few years has, has been impressive, but now we're kind of in that point where I guess it could go again. Uh, so I understand the concerns with Casimir. Your last one hurts my heart because I'm a big Julio Tehran fan. What, why, why are you down on him? I've just been watching you guys argue about him and, you know, poked around a little bit more. And I just didn't like, I didn't like where things are headed. I mean, you know, with Matt Moore, for example, uh, you know, and you guys were talking about Kevin Gossman. But it, yeah, Chris Liss and I, for those that don't know, Chris Liss and I were having a debate basically of Tehran versus Gaussman, um that kind of, not, I don't, I don't want to say spiraled out of control, but just it was a lengthy discussion between those two. And you know, while I wouldn't necessarily take Tehran, uh, take Gossman over Tehran, you know, at the same pick, I'd probably wait longer and risk losing both of them to pick something else in the meantime, because I just I don't 
I don't like what's happening with Tehran. I don't like that he's not using his changeup anymore and that he's become basically kind of like a fastball slider guy that... Why does that change up going in and out for him? Because the same thing happened in the minors at one point, if you'll recall. Um, you know, he had a change up that was getting like 60, 75, or 65, 70 grades um, on his minor league reports. And then I think one year, that one bad year that he had in AAA, it kind of just disappeared. Well, then he brought it back and it, and it was present for the two good years that he had. But then, as you mentioned, it's, it's fading again. So what is it? He just loses the feel for it? Yeah, it's just, you know, in terms of movement, it's really average looking. So it must be a sequencing thing. It, it has less fade than average. And I think it probably has to do somewhat with his use of the sinker because uh, if he pairs it with his four seam, it does have a couple more inches of fade than his four seam, but it has a few inches fewer fade, uh, less fade, few, less fade. It has fewer, inch, fewer inches of less fade. <laughs> anyway, that is a confusing uh, phrase yes anyway uh, it has it less has fade less either fade. way it has less fade than his sinker so if he if he's thrown a sinker recently it looks straighter than a sinker which is is a weird look for for a changeup. absolutely so i think like i think in terms of absolutes it's not his best pitch but in terms of his usage in the past he's found ways to hide it better or pair it better but also in the last couple of years he's using the sinker more so in 2012, his best year for the change in terms of whiff rate, he didn't even throw a sinker, according to Brooks Baseball. And then he, and then when he brought in the sinker in 13 and 14 and 15 was when the changeup started getting worse. So I think it looks too much like the, cha- the, the sinker. And if he maybe ditched the sinker completely, which I don't know if he'll do on a Braves team, I think that they, they like their sinkers, um, then... I think that it's just going to meld together. It's like guys who throw a cutter and a, and a uh, guys who throw a cutter and a slider. Sometimes they just get too close together and they look too similar. Yeah, they I mean, kind of morph and they become the same. They make pitch. both pitches worse. Yep. And, and so you know his changeup, his changeup uh, in terms of velocity is 84 and his sinker is 91, and they look very similar. And the changeup is actually a little bit straighter than a sinker. It's like well. I was geared up. I gear up for like 86 and adjust to 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 the uh, the velocity rather than adjust to the the movement, you know. And um, you know, good fastball, good slider, nice nice rise on the four seam. He was using the four seam a little bit more in the past, and and has and has a um, has a track record to fall back on, but uh, is not somebody that I want necessarily and so when i played the would you rather game he he suffered i'd rather have him as a, in that group of fifth starters where um he's got upside but i'm not i'm not banking it that's i mean that's listen i understand some of the reservations last year was a tough year for tehran but you know i'm looking at an 11 percent swinging strike rate each of his three years i still feel like maybe there's some strikeout upside but i do think it does come down to sequencing so at some point it can't just be the potential he has to start putting it together he's on a bad team so you know the 11 wins he got last year might actually look good compared to what he could get this year so i i get some of the reservation but when i watch him pitch i just i I see a guy who's got a lot of talent still in his arm he is just 25 years old and i feel like a lot of times 
uh, we're tripping over ourselves to roster a 25 year old who has this who has shown this kind of upside before and everyone seems to be kind of running the other way from Tehran so I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay I'm gonna stick to my guns with him but uh, I guess we'll see what's what at the end of the year between uh, you and Chris and then myself maybe 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 I'll be serving up some crow for you guys but if Tehran <laughs> sucks then I'll pretend like I have amnesia and I never said any of this <laughs> well, I'll, you... I'll wipe this podcast and my Twitter account off the face of the earth. You'll always have Verlander. That's true. That's true. And I, I absolutely love him this year. He's backing up everything that we saw last year in spring training so far. Well, you know, we gave him a nice big uh, big podcast to come back after a few days off. I, I assume you and I will be back on Friday. Um, uh, maybe actually we'll have to talk about that because I, I might have some, some things going down on Good Friday. But uh, we'll get it figured out. Hopefully you start feeling better as well. Got to get our health back on track. How many more drafts you got? Only two more, which my wife is super happy about. I was going to say, she's got to be giddy that it's only two. She probably hopes it was zero or one, but that's all right. Two more. <laughs> okay. Got well. a hall pass to go out Friday night. So Very cool. <laughs> and I'm about to go Verizal. Oh, snap. You're about to smoke <laughs> some fools. Good, good. Hit some Verizal. Hit some Kristaps. Um, I, I told you how it went at softball last week. Unfortunately, there's a lot of Nick Punto. Nick Punto! It, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. I, I, if, you, if you own it, you own it. I, 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 had, I got to own it. It was a rough, rough first game. I played some decent defense at least, made a couple nice scoops at first base. But uh, that's about all I can hang my hat on. Hopefully, um, my next game, I can go four for four, as I promised last time. Eno, until we talk again, I hope you feel better. And um, crush your basketball game. Crush your drafts. And we'll be back in a few days. All right. See you guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs>